Thanks for tuning in to the Loser Kid Pinball Podcast, take three on episode 88. I am Josh Roop. With me, my co-captain as always. Scott Larson. Hey, and Scott, before we get to our awesome guest today, let's talk about our sponsor. Okay, uh, Flipping Out Pinball. If you have that pinball machine or accessory that you're looking at, contact Zach and Nicole Mini at Flipping Out Pinball. Um, they've always been great to work with, uh, been able to get the accessories I want. I have some art blades that I need to install and I've had, I've bought some shooter rods from them in addition to the games I bought from them. So, uh, go ahead and hit them up. If you have any questions, uh, they'd love to help you out, especially with the topper. Oh, you and your toppers. I know toppers are great. Hey, I also want to say thank you to them because they are helping us out with our flipping the script on autism. They are one of our sponsors that have stepped up to donate some product and whatnot to help out those kids at Learning Solutions with early intervention with autism. Uh, we want to thank also like Stern and Multimorphic, Haggis. There's a whole slew of them. Brad with Lit Frames. They've all stepped up to help us out. We want to see you there at Pinball Expo here October 19th through the 23rd. We hope to see you there and get you some sweet swag. Why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest today scott all right today we have a designer who burst onto the scene uh with his first game that was basically a homebrew but because of fan interest was able to come into a production game um and this is scott denisi and burst onto the scene with total nuclear annihilation but has since uh helped make uh, rick and morty even designing it and uh so now he is with us and so we want to welcome to the show Hi, everybody. Nice to be here, guys. <laughs> now, Scott, you wear a lot of hats. Um, so you're a pinball designer. You're also a DJ. You also still work at Pinball Life. Um, wh wh what other hats are you wearing right now? Oh, man. I, I, I The problem is I just I do too much. And I need <laughs> sometimes I need to settle down. Um, but yeah, so aside from my day job, which is pinball life, where I do the, uh, the technical stuff over there, whether it's, you know, mechanical, electrical engineering, I'll even do stuff like help out with tech support, help out with sub assembly or whatever needs to be done. Um, we, uh, I basically do that cause it's a small business. Um, but besides that, which is the nine to five, everything else I'm doing, I, uh, I moonlight. So whether it's making audio for uh, a new VR game that we're working on, um, or working with multimorphic doing audio, but it's mostly, I'm, I'm just, I'm doing a ton of audio right now. Uh, it seems to be a, a, a really fun point for me at the moment. Well, it's funny too, cause there's a lot of people in the pinball industry that are like musicians getting out of music to get into pinball. But you're almost like doing the opposite. You started out in pinball and you're like gravitating more towards music now. Tell us more about that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So um, really, I started writing music back in 1996 uh, when I was in high school. And uh, I started experimenting with electronic music and writing some really junky stuff. Um, sounds terrible. I actually found some of it the other day and I I need to delete it. It's really bad. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've been doing that as just a little side hobby for so long. And when I started getting into pinball, I said, well, Hey, wait, maybe I can take this other side hobby and smash them together and see what happens. Right. So when I built total nuclear annihilation, I just said, Hey, let's see how crazy of a soundtrack I can make. That's still acceptable to the normal pinball person. Right. Uh, and, uh, we, we got the TNA soundtrack and I'm, I'm actually very, very proud of that. Uh, how that turned out still to this day. Now, tell me about um, 
like what inspired you to build TNA? I mean, there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, I'd be interested in building, but with you working at Pinball Life, that gave you a that gave you an advantage that a lot of people don't have and that I would have no idea what parts even make up a pinball machine, but you're well aware of this. So at what point did you say, you know what, I'm going to try making my own game? Yeah, so that that's another uh, really great point is uh, I had all these industry connections uh, prior to doing this. And what I did was I said, I said to myself, I was like, hey, you know, uh, I've been working with uh, Jerry Stellenberg and building up this homebrew community for years at that point before I started working at Pinball Life. And I was like, you know, I'd never actually built an entire pinball machine from scratch. I have just been dabbling in rewriting code for previous games um, and just kind of playing around, nothing that I would distribute to anybody. Uh, but um, I got to the point where I was like, you know, there's there's new games starting to be created, right? So Wizard of Oz had just hit and, you know, that was doing really well. And I look at that game and I'm like, there's so much in that game. I'm like, it's, but it's not really the type of game that I personally want to see. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to build a homebrew of what I personally want and what I think my closest friends would play dollar games with me on. And I said, I need, you know, just a simple single level play field. It's got to be very brutal uh, so that ball times are very short, you know, just other little wacky things. I need to put the latest and greatest technology into it so I can run full RGB with including the GI um, and so, and then I'm like, well, now I need to program it and I want to make sure that I use the RGB differently than what Jersey Jack was doing. Cause at the time, Jersey Jack, uh, was just blasting rainbows on everything all the time. And I get it. Cause wizard of Oz, that makes complete sense. But I was like, Hey, that's like, you, you overuse something to the point where it doesn't actually become effective anymore. Uh, you're just like, great, you know, rainbows and cool. The lights can do all that stuff. But if I, I wanted to trick people into thinking it was a normal pinball machine when you started and then use the full RGB sweeps and crazy explosions and stuff uh, that are on the actual play field and in the light shows as something that would really have more of an impact. So that was like the main driver for like the, like the light show generation on it. And then I also needed something that I thought sounded really good and something that I wanted to hear. So I threw in my own music that I created from scratch for that. But uh, yeah, it was like a lot of that stuff. So really that high level, that's really why I decided to make that game. And really, I just wanted to bring it places and share it with people and play dollar games on it with everybody. You're going to steal all their dollars, huh? <laughs> well, you know, I, it's funny because I am not a good pinball player, um, but I am average enough that I can win sometimes. So losing a few dollars here and there is no big deal. Um, but I got a lot of satisfaction out of losing dollars to people on TNA. Yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> that was worth the dollar to me. Now, now remind me, wasn't, uh, man, if I'm remembering correct, correctly, at the Pinball Olympics, wasn't this on the turntable? It was this year. Yeah, this uh, or this past Pinball Olympics. Yeah. So 2021. Yeah. Um, yeah, with the, just in case yeah. the game's not hard enough, uh, add it spinning at the same time as you are. Yeah, it's that's pretty rough. So I would say that this soundtrack is probably revered as one of the best soundtracks in pinball, especially for original score. I doubt there's one I can think of that is higher. Um, has it been hard because you you've recently you did music for Weird Al and then you did it for 
Rick and Morty, I guess, vice versa. Has it been harder to deal with licenses than doing your own jam? Or is it kind of easy because you get kind of a template to work off of? Oh, absolutely. So that's a, that's a really good question because there's, uh, I was actually very scared working uh, with the Rick and Morty license because I always thought the worst, right? I thought like, hey, I'm going to remix one of their songs for the the main theme and it's got to be energetic at times and, you know, halftime at other times. Um, I'm, I'm really nervous about sending this over to them and having them having to like make a ton of revisions, like feel bad about it. But I sent it over to Adult Swim and they just thumbs up approved it right away and didn't have any feedback whatsoever for any of the music that was in the game. Uh, and that goes for the sound effects too, which is just incredible to me. Um, I think I just got lucky though, because I've heard horror stories of other things and um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with luck. Let's go with luck on that one. <laughs> well, luck and skill, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So with Rick and Morty though, you went a different level. You're like, you know what? I've done a street level game. I'm going to put some ramps in. So how was that different doing a more modern take? And uh, you also put a pop bumper down, down in the danger zone. So that was interesting. Oh yeah. The, the pop bumper thing is just, just crazy. I, I just had a, a, when I started designing the game and Charlie told me that it was, uh, that we could get the Rick and Morty license. Um, that's when I said, okay, well I need to actually create a chaotic game. Uh, and how am I going to actually do that? Right. So I wanted it to have, I wanted the low ball times again and I wanted to create more chaos. So I actually put, I was like, well, I'm going to try and put a pop bumper somewhere weird again, because I love, where I stuck it in TNA, it just, it's not very typical right there for modern games. So I went really extreme with it. And I was like, I'm going to replace one of the slingshots with it and just see what happens. And really it's, I didn't think it was going to make it to production because it was kind of a joke. I was like, ah, let's see, you know, let's see what I can get away with here, you know? So I, uh, I, I cut the first white wood and we powered up all the stuff. I threw uh, I threw a P3 rock system in it so I could actually power up the slingshots and the pop bumper and the flippers and everything. Uh, and and I'll tell you what, it was it was really fun and it actually worked. It was out of the way enough where it didn't you know intrude on the lower Italian bottom stuff. Uh, and it just it was neat because it was actually sending the ball upward on the playfield, and you could actually have it create or like make shots for you. So. We decided that it was uh, it was a go. It was great. And then at that point, when we said, "Hey, let's let's push this forward more, right? Keep it in the Whitewood." Um, we, uh, I still only gave it like a fifty percent chance of getting in the production game because I didn't know how the general public was going to react to it. So that was a big key because remember, like I have to make a game that will sell for Spooky, right? Like if I made something too crazy and people just didn't want to, uh, you know, accept it, right. That could hurt Spooky's bottom line really on that game. So, uh, I was a little bit worried about that, but every single person that I've had play it, who are, who are very trustworthy friends of mine who will absolutely tell me something is not good. Uh, they all played it and every single one of them said they loved it. So I, I was, I was okay, I guess, pushing it to production. You know, Charlie loved it too. So it's a, uh, it's a whole thing there. It, it, it's pretty crazy actually. Well, and when we talked to you at Texas pinball festival, you told us like everyone sees that TNA is a love letter to like early solid states. But what a lot of people don't see is that Rick and Morty is kind of a love letter to system 11 games. Was there, was there any games that kind of stood out to you that kind of helped you 
influence you making that game? No, that's, you're 100% right, though. So no specific game, but Rick and Morty, if you were to look at that and just just take a take a glance at it at a high level, that's a System 11 game with an LCD screen on it. Yeah, Really, it, I wanted it to still be retro and simple and not really take the ball away from you too much. And I don't really like uh, tons of cluttered playfields. So I tried to keep it as clutter-free as possible. Um, I know I got a lot of heat for that, though. I mean... People wanted toys and stuff and more things all over it. And I understand that that's like something that people do like. But again, I was kind of, I was kind of building in half for me again and then in half for everybody else at the same time. So I kept it pretty stripped down. Um, but Spooky did end up putting some, uh, some toys and things in there for production. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a System 11 game. And I love System 11 games. I've had uh, a majority of them in my collection over the years. So that's the last game that you have, or at least designed, that is in the public. Do you have other things in your uh, development cycle, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. So I have tons of ideas, but I'll tell you what, designing a game in your spare time is very, very difficult to do uh, just because of how much goes into it. Because if I design a game, I'm going to want to do the audio. I'm going to want to do all the sound effects, right? And that's a full-time job right there. Right. And then I'm going to want to go and make sure the rules are correct. And, you know, like the, the rules designers kind of staying within what, you know, what I would want. So it's a huge job. So like, I have to, I kind of want to take a break on it and like relax for a little while, do just do audio and then uh, we'll see what happens. But I do have tons more ideas. I'm not giving up on anything. And uh, yeah. It just dawned on me. I don't know why this, this clicked in my mind, but does that mean you made Rick and Morty? Pre- like, obviously, TNA was a, a home project thing. We all understood that. But Rick and Morty, you were still working at Pinball Life, so I assume it was all on not on the side, but like kind of after on hours weekends. after work, right? Nights and weekends. It was, it was nights and weekends. I was moonlighting that entire project. Yeah. Holy crap! Yeah, that's <laughs> that why is... it's like it, it's it kills you. You got to be really careful, like not to not to do too much because you miss out on life. You know. Mm-hmm. So how how was it doing sound for Weird Al? Because it's already a musician how do you go in and say i'm going to add to your what you've already made oh yeah that's that's fun um so all of the music that is in weird al was taken from different generations of his albums right so it's a really broad spectrum of like of music from his early career and his later career um all of it was mastered differently right so different like loudness levels and like all sorts of crazy stuff, like different EQ settings. Um, so the first thing I did was I went through and I remastered every song that we we're going to use uh, in a modern style of uh, mastering technique where it's, it's very loud, it's very compressed, uh, sounds really good on pinball machine hardware. Uh, and that was the first thing I did, which took a bunch of time. But uh, then I said, hey, we have, we have some like open areas that we need some music for. So I was able to create music from scratch in the tone of Weird Al, which is like, which is really fun for me because uh, his music is so quirky and, and, and it varies so much. So it's like, uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it was really interesting. And I think if you listen to that high score music on there, you'll see it just, it fits right in with the rest of everything else going on. But I did write that from scratch. I, mean, it's, I was going to say, it all sounds like it was made from Weird Al. So, you obviously did a really great job of matching 
his style because I played that game. We played it a handful of times at mm-hmm. TPF, and there was never once where I played it and was like, "This doesn't sound like Weird Al at all." This must have been Scott, you know. Well, most of it is Weird Al. Just so you like, so I, I wrote two songs for that, and it's um, let's see, the two songs the is the high, the high score music was something I wrote from scratch, and there's also I believe they used it in Drink from the Fire Hose, but I could be uh, I could be misrepresenting that, um, but they used another one of my tracks there. Did you get to talk with Weird Al at all? I didn't. I wish I did. That guy sounds like it would be really fun to just like chat with and, and talk about just music stuff or just life in general. You need to tell Jerry that needs to be in the contract next time. You, if we're making a license for you, at least get to come down and, and meet all the people on part of the project. <laughs> I know. They should, yeah, they should have had Weird Al come in to the actual, like fly into Austin and be like, just meet with everybody. I would have flown down there for that in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he's on tour, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, the crazy thing is that you knew Weird Al was valedictorian, right? No, I did yeah. not. Yeah, so I mean, the guy's crazy smart, and I I, mm-hmm. I just find it funny that he decided to do, his, uh, to do his career in basically joke songs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's a smart guy. He also does, like... He, Anyone you ever talk to about Weird Al is always talking about how he's just such a nice guy and how he just, you know, does all this really charitable stuff, which is really great. So may we ask you, you said that you have other developments uh, in the pipeline. Is is some of it for Spooky, more for Multimorphic? Can you um, as, say? Of, as of right now, I am uh, I'm just helping Multimorphic with some things. Um, but the main project that I'm working on now um, – is actually not uh, it's not confidential, which is cool. Um, it is a it is an official soundtrack for a VR game. Um, this VR game is uh, coming out on Steam and Oculus and all the VR platforms at the end of the year. And I'll also be releasing an album uh, with my record label. I'll release that entire album on there, um, which is interesting because that album is an official soundtrack for the game, but it also contains some of my prior work that has not been yet released on an album. So it has some stuff from TNA in it. It has uh, some things. Uh, there's a uh, there's a song called Silver Falls that's going to be on that official soundtrack, which I actually wrote for uh, a, a homebrew project. So I got, uh, I got that going on there, which is really cool. But it's like 12 tracks. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going to come out later this year. So that's the main thing. What kind of game we'll is this? Is this like Guitar Hero or something? Oh, it's, it's called Arcade Legend. So it's okay. like a uh, it, it's a game where you go in, stick your VR headset on, uh, you go into an empty arcade, you find the keys to this arcade, and you go in, you clean it up, and you buy some games, you throw them in there, you maintain them, you like you could set everything up and configure your arcade exactly how you want it, like put couches over here, or like you know all the really cool stuff. Um, it's mostly redemption things. Um, but it has things like, you know, like, I don't know, it's just all sorts of really cool stuff in it. Um, but you can also invite your friends in to play games in your arcade and win tickets. And then you win the tickets and you can go buy virtual things in the actual, you know, inside the game. Hmm. So are these going to be like licensed games inside your arcade? They're licensed games. Yeah. Yeah. They're absolutely licensed games. Yep. It's a legit, uh, operation. Uh, most of the games right now are licensed from LAI Games, who makes a, a ton of uh, different redemption games that I'm sure you've played. Like uh, there's like a less bounce game, 
there's a like a I forgot the name of the thing is though, but it's a basketball game. There's a like speed of light, which is like a thing where people like you have to hit all the they like it's a big wall of buttons in front of you, and you have to hit them when they light up as oh, fast yeah, as you yeah. can. You know, it, stuff like that. Is it like Chuck E. Cheese where you go to a redemption center and you get like a, a, a you know Chinese finger trap or a, a yeah. frog jumper? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And but in this case, there's other things you can buy too inside the game. So there's a uh, jukebox in the game, and you can actually buy the tracks from the official soundtrack hmm. with your tickets and put it in your jukebox and have it play for people. Oh wow! How, yeah. how did how did that happen? Like, do you? Like, do you start putting out your uh, your information and say, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm an artist. I know how to write uh, electronic dance music." Uh, you know, how does this work? Because yeah. I would have no idea. Yeah, it's all about the relationships that you make. So in VR, um, I became friends with somebody who was on the team of that uh, of that game, and they were going to actually just use like you know, what you can get like unlicensed songs or royalty free music. You just kind of pay for it and you can just use it however you want. But then again, so can anyone else. Right. So you'll, you're not hearing any unique songs. You can hear, you'll be able to hear those at other, you know, in other games or something. So, um, it's like they, stock uh, art, but stock music. Yeah, exactly. And he was like, you know, uh, I love what you did with TNA. And they're like, would you be interested in talking about doing an OST for this game? And then that's, you know, it just kind of happened that way. So it's, uh, it's cool. Like it just, you never really know what life's going to throw at you, you know? So what's been your favorite project so far? Uh, my favorite project. Oh man. Oh, let's see. There's so many crazy ones. Uh, probably just the TNA thing though. Um, not favorite because of how many years it took off my life, uh, mm. but <laughs> because of stress and stuff. Um, but it's my favorite because it's the most, I think it's the most well-received of the projects that I've done. Now you're still a child of the eighties. You're, you're very much influenced. You still, I believe drive an MR2, correct? Oh no. So I don't have, I had oh. a Fiero. Oh, a Fiero it's a Fiero. Oh, that yeah, was, was a Fiero. really so, an eighties. But I actually got rid of that in 2020. Oh, I sold okay. that. Okay. Uh, and I picked myself up uh, Mitsubishi Evolution, um, but this I don't is know what that is. It's a it's the rally car version of the Lancer. Okay. So it's a it's an Evolution three from 1995. So it's a it's an old uh, right hand drive only made for the Japan market type of car. So it's uh, it's super cool. It uh, it was a former race car in its days. Um, and now it's a retired race car that, uh, I just care for. Okay. So it's, what, it's super cool. What, what inspired you to buy that? I mean, it's, I, I've never even heard of this, but it, it feels very early nineties. It is. It's like, yeah, it's, uh, if you could pull a picture of it, actually pull I, I up my Instagram, yeah. my Instagram is a picture of me standing in front of the car actually. Nice. Um, so the, uh, the reason I really like those is because back in like around 2006 ish, uh, I got my first real job out of college, like a real deal career job with a trajectory, right? Okay. Uh, and I said, I'm going to treat myself and buy myself my dream car, which was a Mitsubishi Evolution. And that was a brand new 2006 Mitsubishi Evolution. Um, it's a uh, it's a very fast rally car. Uh, and I loved it, right? And I drove that for many years and I ended up getting rid of it and got something more practical because of the... Uh, 
you know, I'm like, ah, you know, it's just, I'm going to keep breaking this thing. I can't daily drive this thing. It, it's just, you know, it's like a race car. So uh, I end up selling that and getting something more practical, but then, you know, it just kind of ate at me over the years. Uh, like, man, I should have just chucked that car in a storage unit and just forgot it was even there, you know? Um, so it came up locally. Uh, one of my friends actually had uh, the Evo 3, uh, which is the third generation of the Mitsubishi Evolution that was not supposed to be in this country. Uh, and he's it became legally titled and he's like wanting to sell it. So I ended up, you know, trading him some pinball machines and sold the Fiero and uh, and picked it up. So it's uh, it's really cool. And it's just been a real fun thing to tinker on. I, I had a, a fast car uh, for years. It was a, a Lexus uh, 300, you know, IS oh, nice. 300. And mm-hmm. it was fun. But one day I was driving it and I hit black ice on the freeway and I spun around like eight times. And mm-hmm. thankfully, I I didn't crash into anything, even though the freeway was full of cars. And I just said, I, I can't drive a rear-wheel drive car here. There's too much yeah. inclement weather. So recently... Uh, it was announced that there's going to be like a TNA 2.0 coming out. Can you shed some light on that? Sure. Uh, the first thing is, is that I think we should stop calling it TNA 2.0. Uh, Cause that, <laughs> that 2.0 designation means uh, different. Uh, it is not really different. It's a rerun of TNA. Okay. Um, I am planning on doing a code update, which has some just minor little things in it here and there. Um, but because uh, there's some things I have to fix, I want to try and fix the Scorbit integration, uh, making that more seamless. Uh, there's a I wanted to put a new multi-ball in it, but I don't know if it's totally fun, and it might take away from the actual, you know, original code. So I'm probably I, I don't know that's a, that's up in the air right now. But uh, it's a TNA rerun, so Spooky is going to rerun TNA, and the differences are going to be that it's going to be in. Um, it's going to be in the normal TNA cabinet, but the LCD is going to have the flip down LCD screen that they used on Rick and Morty and, and, and newer games. Uh, mostly because the flip down screen is really handy to get in the back box and it kind of angles the screen back a little better, makes it look nice. Um, but uh, they're going to load this thing up with all the really cool mods. Uh, I think they're going to put, uh, I don't know the exact mods that are in there yet, but I do know it's confirmed. We're going to put green, uh, those fluorescent green protectors on it just from the factory mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, translucent drop targets. And we're going to have those lit up from the factory as well. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's, I think it's also, we're going to have the upgraded shoot again display too, which has extra LEDs on it to give more, uh, give more light show stuff. So but yeah, it's, it's really just a rerun. There's been enough demand where people want to uh, still purchase the game and haven't been able to find a used one. So so can you retrofit any of the new stuff that you're talking about on the original run of TNA? Oh yeah, it's all bolt-on stuff. Yeah, so nothing that's going to be on the TNA rerun game is it's it, nothing that you can't bolt onto the original. It's basically just a rerun of the original again with just the stuff installed prior for you. So you don't have to deal with it. Okay, cool. So how does that, that work? I mean, I know with, with licensors, you, if you want to run, I mean, what Stern run, ran Ironman vault editions for about 20 years after they made it. And so how does that work with spooky? Did they have to contact you and say, Hey, we want to license some more games or, or is, do they just have free run to make as many as they want? How, how does that work? 
Yeah, so uh, it's really quite simple. Um, I own all of the IP for uh, for Total Nuclear Annihilation. So something like if Spooky wants to rerun again, they just they contact me. We have a contract that says they can just run uh, as long as we both agree they can run uh, more of them when they need to or want to, and uh, they. They just contact me, and we we license it out, and they run. Yeah, it's 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 pretty good. Yeah, and I just keep helping support it, and that's all. So with the rerun, does that mean they'll be making more games? So will TNA become again the most ran game at Spooky? Oh, I'm hoping so. I really hope so. I, I hope there's demand for it. To tell you the truth, um, but we'll see. I don't know. I think what what was the uh, run of Halloween? Because that one that won the initial like most run games. So that's, uh, it wasn't a 1250. I think it was 1250 because I think they did so 500 see. Ultramans and mm-hmm. 1250 of Halloween. So I think it was okay, 1750. Yeah. So 1250. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I hope there's demand to blow that number out of the water, but I don't know. And I don't know the plan for spooky, whether they're going to limit it or not. Uh, they haven't yet announced and made anything superficial. So that was going to be my next question. If they were going to limit it or if just going to keep running until they, they, right. Man, I, I would keep running that until you couldn't. Yeah, I would. That would be it would be very smart to do that. Um, I don't know if that's what they're going to do though. So we'll we'll see what happens, I guess. Okay, so the art on TNA. I know you've talked about this before, but remind me. I mean, it definitely has a retro '80s feel. So not so. In addition to writing the game, you also had to basically write the story, and you basically also had to serve as art director to say. How do I want this to look? So tell me more about all of that. Absolutely. So I had to do everything on that. So I came up with the story first. I then started building the Whitewood. And art was the last thing I wanted to touch, right? So I just, I wanted to get this game fully going Whitewood with music and everything. And then let the art flow afterward. Because in my brain, I truly think that's the proper way to do a pinball machine. And I kept seeing John Papaduke put the cart before the horse with he's like blasting art on these play fields that aren't even done yet. And it's like, what a, I keep seeing this. I'm like, what a waste of time. You know, I got, I, I'm going to show people like just with, by doing this, that this is the way to actually build a pinball machine, which most people understand, I guess, you know, Stern definitely knows that. But uh, yeah, I, so I left it to the complete end on that art. Um, and I got to work with Matt Andrews as I am not a good art director, uh, as I've learned. Uh, and Matt Andrews has, he had saved my uh, myself many times during this project by saying, like just saying, hey, Scott, stop. We're going to, let's, let's think about this for a second and do, how about this way, right? So it, uh, it, it, it was really great actually working with him. And if I remember correctly, your wife is the inspiration for the girl in the game too, right? Yeah. So, uh, my wife really put up with a lot while I was working on that project and I wanted to get a little nod to her. So I gave Matt just a picture of her and said, Hey, when you draw the main character, if you could make it sort of look like her and it would be just kind of sealed into this piece of pinball history. Uh, and it, you know, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was just a nice gesture for everything she had to put up with. So, you know, that's quite the love letter. (laughs) It is. It is. Do you have the translate hanging in your house somewhere? Um, I don't actually, because I have the machine. So I don't feel like I'm very limited on art space. So I like to try and keep it as, uh, 
you know, as diverse as possible. I hope you're happy because it's ruined. It's ruined my relationship now because the, the the poster has, hangs on my wall. And I told my wife the story. And she's like, "Why don't you do that for me now?" Yeah. See, that's the. So I I probably shouldn't admit. You know what? Hey, let's just go back. You can just you just yeah. change what I said. Just change it with one of those AI things. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it's awesome. I if I could, I'd do it. Well, It'd it. Be it captures the feel of the eighties, which uh, unless you grew up or at least experienced it, it's uh, you can tell when someone who uh, from Hollywood tries to set something in the eighties, but you're just like, there's something not quite right about the feel of that. Well, and- there's two different, there, there's two things to that actually. And I think I can, I can probably shed some light on this. There's, there's actual what things looked like in the eighties and then there's, the retro futuristic version of the eighties that we all think of. Right. And TNA is the retro futuristic version, which at the time, uh, this retro futurism thing for the eighties was just starting to gain mainstream popularity. It's everywhere now, as you can see, like, you know, I've got a shirt with Stern's logo on it with it. It's like in that retro futurism thing. And it's one of my favorite shirts. It's uh, it, it's great. Like they, that style is not really the eighties though. If you think about it, right. It yes. captures the feel of the eighties, but it's not right from the eighties. I, and I have pictures to prove it of myself opening presents on Christmas day. Oh yeah. Like the eighties looked real brown. dingy. Brown. Yeah. Brown. Yeah, brown. Right? Like yeah. the couch with the flowers. The couch on. With like, the floor. That's what I was about what's to say. The, that? What, yeah, what about the TV? That? The TV it yeah. was stuck with siding, like wood siding yeah. on it. Wood paneling. Yeah, what's up with that stuff? It wood paneling on the walls. Exactly. It, exactly. It wasn't even quality wood paneling. It was like fake wood paneling. Yeah, it was like the really cheap, real like particle board with like yeah. a wood paneling finish with on it. Like, veneer, and if you wow. put a piece yeah. of tape on it, it would rip off. Yeah. 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 No, I absolutely well the funny thing is I, I I've seen those memes. There's like what what everybody thinks the 80s are, and it shows like all basically this color splash everything and it says what actually the 80s were and it shows the TV on the ground with the Nintendo, the NES in front of it with light gun. And the floral couch and the shag carpet and yeah, you know, we had, we had orange carpet. It was ugly. Yeah, yeah. Ours was like beigeish brown color, and it was like long. It was like it's just kind of you wouldn't see that in a house today. No. So the, here's what you need to do with the rerun of TNA. Do keep doing the futuristic one, but run an '80s edition where it's like the brown ashtray on top of the pot bumper. Yeah, the brown oh, ashtray from the dogs. Dolls ashtrays. Oh, I remember those. Those are awful. Yeah. I wonder how much those cost on eBay. Hold on a oh, second. I, I, yeah, I'm I'm curious. I think I might need one of these for my bar down here. The tagline is it's brown. <laughs> McDonald's ashtray. Let's see. Let's see if it's like oh, geez. affordable. Oh, it is on. terrible. Oh, come on. I, want this. I want the glass one. Yeah, yeah. Where's the, the brown, glass, one? brown glass one? Yeah. It looks like oh, they took a, a beer bottle and made it into an ashtray. Yeah, it's a beer bottle. It's a beer bottle color. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. There's some it's eighteen uh, bucks. Yeah, that's a still of a deal. Yeah, I, I know, <laughs> I'm not seeing my. Oh man, they even have these disposable ones. I I just find it amazing that if you tell kids, yeah, when we went to restaurants because they have all these clear clean air laws, which are great now because yeah. I don't like smelling like uh, smoke. But mm-hmm. I mean, that's that was unheard of. It's like, hey, which section do you want to sit in the uh, the designated smoking section or the non-smoking that still smells like smoke? Yeah, exactly. It was really gross. And I remember there was a specific time where they outlawed smoking in bars, 
right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I could go to a bar with my friends and come home and not smell terrible. It was really like, it was a weird thing. Like right. the next day you'd be like, oh, you'd take your clothes and you're like just chucking them in the hamper and like closing it and getting it out of there because it smells like cigarettes. But uh, yeah, that that it's a it's a thing that doesn't exist anymore. Well, they don't they don't allow smoking in bars here. Yeah, so yeah, they're, I, they're, I don't know where they do. I guess they probably do somewhere in but Vegas. The only time they, I, uh, I really yeah. smell a lot of cigarette smoke is in Vegas because yeah. everybody has to chain smoke while hitting the penny slots. Yeah, but you oh, can do yeah. almost anything you want in Vegas, and it's just yeah. They they claim what state happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but the STD still comes home with you. Yeah. Oh, you know, don't, don't they wear diapers in Vegas too? Like some of the people, like, and they sit the slot machines because they oh, don't want to get. It. Yeah, that is, just, heard. that is a yeah, level. I don't know that if that's just a level of commitment I'm not interested in. Oh, man, yeah, just sitting there. Like, imagine like not being able to leave your station, right? Because you're like, okay, this is going to be the one. This is going to be the hit. You're like, it, it, oh man, I don't even want. Yeah, forget it. <laughs> well, it, but if you do go down there, so people from Utah really go to Mesquite or Wendover, which is like the mini Vegas is. It's hey, like, I, I, I don't think a lot of people go to Mesquite. They basically drive through like Mesquite is the very ghetto version of Vegas. And, and Wendover is not even that it, it is like an outpost. It, it feels like an abandoned saloon town. It's the old folks home of Vegas is Mesquite. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, but that, that's probably why I was going to say that's why they're all wearing diapers at the slots is because there's a lady smoking a cigarette while having her oxygen bottle right there. And oh, she's, yeah. she's like 60, 70 years old. Yeah. Isn't <laughs> like, that an insane fire hazard too? Oh, yes. That's, kind of big. that's just crazy. Uh, no, trust me, when I worked at the VA, you'd see people out there with their uh, with their oxygen tank and their pole standing in the rain smoking. I'm like, something's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like, wow. Okay, so what are you looking forward to now? Like, what what is uh, what is on your horizon other than the like? What are you looking forward to in pinball? I mean, not necessarily what you're personally doing, but is there something in pinball that gets you excited right now? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I, I it's, it's as crazy it sounds. I am really excited to see what Multimorphic does with that platform. Right, Multimorphic got a big. Um, they got a. a a lot of publicity from the weird owl game and it's just going to push those guys who are a very smart team of people to do some crazy things with that platform um i know still there's a ton of people that are just they don't accept it yet as a pinball machine i'm wondering just i want to see what happens you know so i'm excited to see what the some of the most smart people that i know can do with that because they're driven they you know that's it's something, you know, Jerry and the team over there are, uh, are really, really driven to try and make that platform, you know, just get it out there to people. Mm-hmm. Well, and I hope they get some recognition this year, too, because let's be honest, I guess there hasn't been a ton of games released this year, but of, of all of them, I mean, Weird Al's up there. It is. I mean, they yeah. did a really great job with Weird Al. Yeah, it's a, and that was a really fun project, too. It's uh it's neat to, to see the team kind of working on this stuff and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot different from when I was doing stuff at Spooky because of how much I had to do. And it was a, to be able to just have access to watch the development team do their thing and then just be like, okay, well, I'm just going to do sound, right? And that's really all I need to function and like worry about, right? Uh, and it's it's really neat to, to see that, you know, instead of just running around all over the place trying to get everything done. Okay, but, so speaking uh, of that, since you've mm-hmm. actually seen behind the scenes on Multimorphic, uh, did it 
did it give you an itch to try your own? Um, you know, I've, I've got ideas, um, but I don't yet have them completely fleshed out. Do you think a, do you think a multi-morphic project would be easier or harder than doing our tradition, traditional pinball? I think that, and honestly, I don't, I don't know. I, I think from a complete dev perspective, right? Like if I were to try to build a pinball machine completely from scratch on the multimorphic platform, I think it's going to be much harder because of all the video assets. And this is only for me purpose, like personally, because I don't know how to properly create video assets, right? So it's just something I would have to work with someone else to do. I, it's like black magic to me, man, how these people do this awesome video stuff. So don't know, you know, it, it, a traditional pinball game though is extremely hard as well because there's so much that has to go into it mechanically as well. There's nothing like really pre-made for you. The multimorphic system has like a pre-made, you know, flipper assembly that slides in, right? And a pre-made like side target assemblies and upper flipper assemblies. So you just build on top of that, right? Yeah. But yeah. it has so much more dev on the software side. The other thought I had too, sorry, so I'm, I'm, I'm straying away from, from that, but we first met you at Pinball Olympics in Chicago at Pinball Expo last year, which I must say is one of my highlights to the whole trip. Weren't you part of one of the madmen that made some of those machines up there? So, uh, so most of it was made by my buddy, Jay. Um, I did help him with a few of the events, um, but mostly I help him with um, just running the thing and getting people excited. And, and, you know, I, I wrote some software for, uh, for pinball Olympics that we use to keep track of the scores to make everything easier. But uh, yeah, I did help build a few of the machines, um, but mostly it's Jay. Yeah. He's the mad scientist. You got to get him on the show one time and, and pick his brain. Oh, definitely. Cause those yeah. machines are crazy. They're insane. Yeah. Well, and just like looking at, I think it's quits Quicksilver is one of them. That's like, it's a, it's a, a normal, a narrow body game in a wide body machine because of the way that it spins and stuff inside the cabinet. It's just yeah, shifty Quicksilver is what it's called. Oh yes. Yeah. Some and of it, that it, stuff is yeah it's it kind of, um, it like pivots in the center and just kind of like shifts side to side, like rotates side to side just yep. to mess with you. If you want to try, if you want to experience physics on a pinball machine you that you never dreamed of, go to Pinball Olympics this year at Pinball Expo because you're going to see some crazy stuff. Yeah, it's worth the drive. It's worth the drive. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Okay, so when you're at Pin Pinball Life now, you are on the hey, I'm an average guy. I'm calling you. I don't know how to fix my machine. Okay, mm -hmm. so from your standpoint. What are like the top five things that you wish people understood about pinball? And what are some, what are the top five products that you're like, you know what, if you are working on your own machine, you need to have these. Yeah. And you, so the, the main thing that I feel bad, so I feel bad when this call comes in, you ready for this? This is the top one for me. Um, they say, Hey, I don't know much about pinball. I can do basic soldering. I'm like, great. Like my coils, my flipper assemblies were like, you know, kind of sluggish. So I replaced the coils on my flipper assembly and they put, you know, they wired it backward for the diodes. Okay. Or they put diodes on something that didn't need diodes and they had them on backwards. And it just, and what happens is when that, that may be, you know, it's really not that big a deal because you could put it in there and then they're, they're not really doing anything too crazy. But the problem is when that diode is backwards and you don't know what you're doing with that, 
uh, it blows up the transistors on the actual board, on the driver board. Mm-hmm. And telling somebody who can barely solder, who doesn't know how diodes work, that a piece of their circuit board now needs to be replaced. And the problem is it's their fault, right? It's like, (laughs) there's nothing that we can do to say like, hey, that's going to work in your game or not unless they call for a suggestion, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel terrible when that happens um, because they usually have to call a service tech and it ends up costing them so much money. Yeah. Um, You know, so... That's that's probably the number one thing. Um, we get a lot of uh, we get a lot of calls just from random people just asking how to how to install some of the kits that we have because the uh, most people throw away instructions. Uh, really? Uh, yeah. Like an M. Oh, I do it too. I'm not saying I don't. Okay. Yeah. So I uh, I get a piece of IKEA furniture and I really don't feel like looking at the uh, instructions. I want to try and figure it out. And it always ends badly. Okay, so is there a? Uh, I, I'm looking at Pinball Life right now, and I see um, I see a knocker assembly for Stern machines, which I thought was yes. interesting. Is there one that works with Beatles? Uh, let me see. Like that one should actually. It's a Spike Two game. Because it says it says Sam. So. Does it say? Oh, that's a Sam knocker. There's a Spike knocker. Oh, is there? Yeah, yeah. I I because I. I yeah. got that the other day when I was playing Beatles. I'm like, ah, you cannot get a fake knocker in be- in Beatles. Oh, it has yeah. to be like the old school. Yeah, it's a if you type in like uh, spike knocker, okay, it comes right up, and it's just a little kit that installs in there and it puts a real knocker in there for you. Oh yeah, there it is. It's actually really cool. I I, uh, I drew up and, and engineered the board and the hardware for that kit completely. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I I, I hope Stern's not too mad at me for that, but it's just something that. You really need needed to happen. Yeah. I hope they realize it. I just hope they realize I'm doing it on good faith. Like I'm not doing this to like try to screw them over or anything like that, but it's just, I, I just hope they, uh, they know that that's uh it's just a needed thing. Hey, legitimately. I thought uh, my first machine uh, was Simpsons and I had it for a few years and I, I finally was like, what is that sound? I had no idea. Cause I was so new to pinball and I finally emailed them. I'm like, what is this terrible sound that happens occasionally on the game? And they're like, I think it's the knocker. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. So once I turned that off, I'm like, oh, so much better. That's the first thing I do every time I set up a machine is turn off that uh, that annoying fake knocker. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you've ever had someone that has never really played pinball before and they come over for the first time and they're playing it, and I always have my replay set up as extra balls because I figure if you're playing good enough to get to the replay you should at least earn something since you're not out on location and and that knocker goes off and people are like i think i broke it what's wrong with yeah, the circuit uh-oh. board <laughs> i think i blew a speaker what's going on <laughs> I've, I've had that same thing man like my doctor dude has the loudest knocker i've ever heard in my life in it and uh it scares the crap out of everybody that's awesome okay so what are some of the things you're like okay if you are going to assemble your pinball workbench what are some of the products that everybody should have? Oh, first of all, fuses, because every time you buy a machine, it's always almost a fuse. It's always a fuse. So just overfuse everything. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do any of that. <laughs> so yeah, so the, the fuse joke is something pretty funny, though. I don't know. Some viewers will get it. Some viewers won't. But uh, well, it's always, anytime they say, this pinball machine doesn't work, it's probably just a it's fuse. Pro- it's probably just a fuse. I'll yeah, take like, 10 bucks off. Yeah, exactly. You're like, but what caused that to actually break? Um, this is what I would do. I would get uh, your workbench needs to have 
sum of each coil sleeve that goes in a pinball machine. You need to have, um, depending on the era of machines, you should probably have a couple rebuild kits, but usually I would just buy the rebuild kits like as I needed them. Um, the rebuild kits contain end of stroke switches and on older games, those end of stroke switches blow out like crazy. Um, so, and they're super cheap and easy to replace, like just, you know, soldering in two things and screwing it back in there. Um, so yeah, the coil sleeve is number one. Um, but you should also have, uh, you know, I, I have coils in my toolbox, but I don't need them. Um, and this is like low level. So I'm forgetting like the really common things like rubber, like having a complete set of rubber just there. So if you break a flipper rubber, you can replace it immediately. Um, what else am I missing? Just standard cleaning supplies, extra pinballs, that kind of stuff. And pin gulps. You got to put pin gulps on all your stuff. Oh, yes. Shameless plug. I, I actually I mean, I, shameful, shameful. Plug, yeah, shameful. I tell people all the time when they ask of them, like the first thing you need to do is get something for people to put their drinks in because Absolutely. otherwise they're going to put them on your game. Yeah. Forget that. And it's angled. So they're just again, just about ready to fall over. Yep. Yeah. It's great. Did you see the, uh, the new ping gulps that we came out with in the past year? You take them off. Like it's uh, yeah. yeah, it's the 3.0, right? Yes, 3.0. Yeah, those are crazy because they're actually really cheap. So they're they're better and cheaper. Yeah. Which is crazy. We the only reason we still sell the original ping gulps in in the um the pro version and the premium version, whatever we call them. I forgot. Um, but uh we sell those because people don't like to have non-matching ping gulps in their game room. Oh, yeah, oh, I can see that. So, yeah, but uh, the 3.0s are the way to go. I actually swapped all of mine out. I just, I just gave all my pin gulps to Jay for the Pinball Olympics. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just, yeah, just put all 3.0s on there. Because if I'm climbing between games, I need to pull them off real easy. Yeah, actually, I, I probably need to uh, to do the same thing. But I, I am neurotic, and I probably will uh, replace them all together, too. Well, yeah, dang it. I, I'm looking at these, and now I need to get some. They're only 10 bucks a pop. Yeah. Yeah, Holy they're crap. cheap. Yeah. And they'll go on sale too when we do uh when we do like the October uh like Ooh. expo sale where like everything on the website goes like super cheap. Nice. I think yeah. they get down to like seven or eight bucks. Nice. If not more. I don't know. They're cheap. So I want to bring up one project that you don't I don't know if you talk about much, but and I don't know if many people know that you did this, but you found an earth shaker and like redid it from kind of like a software ground up, didn't you? Absolutely. Yeah. So Earthshaker, um, so I stumbled across, um, I found Earthshaker, the prototype number two. So it was the second game built and a friend of mine had it and he restored it with like a clear coated play field and everything. And he, um, he was looking to get rid of it. So I traded him like a fun house for it or something. Right. And I went through it. I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, oh, it's so cool. It's a piece of history. Right. It's like got all these prototype ramps on it and the prototype building and like, all the right prototype, everything on it. And uh, then I was like, I hate the music in this game. Like legitimately hate the music, uh, but I like the gameplay. And yeah. so I said, I am going to reprogram it. So <laughs> I uh, got a P-Rock and a P-Rock adapter board and wired the whole thing up in there uh, and then started digging in and rebuilt the software completely from scratch for Earthshaker. Uh, it is very similar but it has different music. It has expanded rules on it. Um, and I posted that, uh, I posted that software online for people to use as reference. And, uh, that 
is still up there to this day. I don't have that Earthshaker anymore. I ended up selling that, um, you know, pre-pandemic. Uh, some, I think someone in Michigan has it or Florida. I don't know exactly where it is right now. Um, but yeah, I took this prototype Earthshaker that was beautiful and um, I in this prototype playfield and screwed an auto launcher into it. Uh, you know, people uh, were not super happy with what I did to it, but again, I gave that whole machine something to be even more special uh, now that it's the only one in existence. Definitely. And if I remember correctly, didn't you actually take the back glass off so that way you could, like you had like a plexiglass translite so that way you actually, could just kind was, of look it was into it. straight tempered glass. Okay. Um, I put a piece instead of the back glass, I pulled the back glass out and wrapped it up real nice and set it aside. Right. So I didn't like break it or anything, but uh, I put a clear piece of glass in there and then cut out some vinyl that said Earthshaker Aftershock on it. And then um, what I did was I, I put some LED strip in the back box so it lit up the circuit boards so people could see that it was not like it had a P rock in it and it had this crazy adapter board and, you know, an alphanumeric converter board and stuff like crazy stuff that did not exist in the game before. Uh, and, uh, I just, I could, I could make that led strip change colors programmably and it, it was really cool. So that project was a lot of fun. That was my first time writing pinball code completely from scratch from the ground up. Well, and if I remember correctly, didn't you have your, your wife also redo some of the lines and didn't you redo some of the lines as well in there? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, it, everything was redone by the way. So it was like, again, this is a complete from scratch build. Uh, so okay. I had to have someone record the vocals and my wife actually did that for me. Uh, and, uh, let's see what else I didn't write any of the music, but I did do all the sound effects for it. All the okay. music in that game was actually just ripped from other artists that I really liked. Huh. But since I wasn't selling it or giving it away, even, uh, it was fine to use that as a fan project. So what inspired Earthshaker? Like, was it just availability? You, you had the option of doing it. It was really, it was just because I, I had this, I had this game and I also just hated the music so much that I needed to redo it. So it really just comes down to that. Well, cool. We're kind of running up into, uh, you're going to be going live here shortly to, uh, hang out with your payphone. I am. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's a whole nother. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. T tell us about your payphone Cause we were talking about offline and I think it's awesome. Yeah. So I actually have a restored payphone that is installed in my basement, right on my bar. Um, that is, uh, hooked up to my landline, uh, which I still have. A, I, had to, I had to call and reactivate my landline because I didn't have one. And the lady on the phone, you should have heard her. She goes, you want to do what? I'm like, yeah, I want to add a landline to my account. She's like, why would you want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> like everyone's just getting rid of the landlines. I'm like, well, I got the Comcast modem here and it has a landline output on it. Just, just activate that for me. And uh, I finally convinced her to do that. And it, it ended up saving me $20 a month actually. Okay. So, uh, so I don't we, know how that's possible. We actually have a landline and it's the same thing. It's like with Comcast, you pay 10 bucks a month on top of yeah. whatever you're doing. Yeah, but it saves you like twenty dollars a month by bundling it together. Yeah, we and the, we have it because we still have you know we have young kids who don't have their own cell phones, and we're like you know just in case they need to pick pick up and call nine one one. But yeah, it it, it does it does come in handy about every year or so when a a company from nineteen ninety two asks for a fax, <laughs> and you can send it. That's funny. 
That's awesome. Yeah. So the, the payphone, like, yeah. So it's actually hooked up. I have a, uh, I have a piece of radio, old radio equipment that taps into the phone line, which uh, allows me to send my voice and the caller's voice uh, through an XLR output into my audio gear. So I'm going to tonight spin up my Twitch stream. I'm going to post the number online, which is really risky to do. Um, and I'm going to just talk to anyone who calls in. Uh, obviously, I can hang up on people. Uh, there's no dump button. So um, if and I've already set it up to where if anyone calls that number, with a uh with like star six seven remember that how it blocks it uh-huh yeah um it will automatically never even ring the phone so it doesn't even tie the lineup oh wow um and i do have a caller id on it so if somebody calls in and does something stupid i can i'm gonna have my laptop up in front of me so i'll be able to block the number immediately and it will just never come back so uh we'll we'll see what happens it's really risky i could get t- kicked off twitch tonight i don't know <laughs> Um, but I do know it's going to probably be entertaining. I, I think um, it's worth the risk. I think it's worth yes. the risk too. Yeah. And I'm actually going to do that in an hour. I've got one hour. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I do have time for food and I do have time to kind of prepare for that. Um, I've got a really crappy camera angle, which looks like a camcorder sitting on a countertop um, that is going to be pointed at me and the phone, uh, which the uh, which the guys are actually looking at right now because I kicked yeah, my no, camera it, it, it looks great. It really, if you grew up in the eighties and you had to call your mom from the arcade, this is your phone. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's great. And I'll, I'll have the pinball machines on in the background too. Or just, there's two of them over there that are in the camera view. Um, so we've got big Lebowski and Tron, which are two nice. great games. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, we didn't even talk about that. What is in so, your collection yeah. right now? Yeah. Let's go down here. I'll go down. I'm going to look, I'm just going to read them off. Right. So right. I'm going from left to right around the room here. Uh, Big Lebowski, that's the actual prototype number one, first game ever built by um, by those guys. Uh, I've got a Tron, which I call uh, Powerball Tron because it only has Powerballs in it and it will Ooh. never have steel pinballs in it ever again. Because um, <laughs> if you play Tron with steel pinballs, you're cheating. Seriously. Okay. And it's, it's awful. It plays awful with steel pinballs in it. Go put four Powerballs in Tron and I'll tell you what, you will never, ever want to play with steel wow. pinballs in there again. That's hilarious. I'm going to have to tell my uh, tell my buddy who bought my Tron to try that. Yes, please do. And spread the word because it's uh, it's absolutely important. <laughs> so going over this way, uh, we've got the obviously a total nuclear annihilation, which shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, that one is the uh, that's the first one that was built by the guys. Uh, doesn't have a serial number on it. The serial number is just Scott, which is kind of cool. So when, you know, eventually one day when I pass away or something, uh, someone's going to find that and find serial number Scott on it. And it's going to, they're going to be excited. Um, there next to that is a Rick and Morty with the serial number Scott as well. I have no idea when that was built. I think that was built like halfway through the run. Um, I have a Bride of Pinbot 2.0 and then a Multimorphic P3. And then the Dr. Dude that's over there and a Revenge from Mars, which is one I just picked up recently. You know, oh, my, Revenge from Mars. we played a Revenge from Mars at my friend's house and my wife thought it was awesome. She, she's like, they should have made more of these. This is really cool. Yeah. And actually the reason I got it was because it was my wife's favorite game. And I had one a while ago. It was like the third game I ever bought way back in the day. And uh, my wife really loved it. And when I sold it, she was actually upset. And I didn't realize how significant that was until later on because she doesn't really like pinball. She mm-hmm. just tolerates it and goes, ah, whatever, you know. 
Um, but uh, when I talked about getting another one again, she actually was like, oh, I'll actually play that. I'll come down and play that. So I'm like, okay, well, it's a done deal. I'll Does it have the up. LCD conversion too? It doesn't. This one's all original and it has mm. a bright tube in it still, which is really okay. crazy. That, that is crazy because I, I do like the LCD conversion because the other ones I've played, uh, just the CRT is 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 boxed. So Yeah, and that's really common. I got really lucky with this one, which is why I hopped on it. Mm-hmm. The lines on that game are so classic. I love. Oh, that they're game. so ridiculous! Yeah. Like, I yeah, I like, thought of I thought of picking one up. I mean, I have I have Attack from Mars, and I love it. And it would just be fun to have both of them. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, like the funny lines too. Like the like there's a little scene where like the aliens like massaging the girl at a, yeah. like a, in a massage parlor, and he goes, "I need you." Like yes, to need like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, need with a K. Right? It's like it's just that she like turns around. Ah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. One of my favorites is Clinton was still in office. Oh. And so while the aliens are ducting everything off the White House lawn, and he says, like, take my wife, just don't take the secretary. <laughs> no, he says, save the interns. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. terrible. No, it's funny. It's all – what's funny though is it's done – But yeah, no, I, I get it's it. Done I get in a way, it's done in a way that's not, like, disrespectful either. It's just it's just silly and funny, and everyone laughs at it, and everyone yeah. loves it. It's, it it's, it's really, really well done in that game. Don't take the car. That's the chick magnet. <laughs> yeah, it's like funny. It's like, it's like, what the heck? Oh, so I want good. one. I, I need to get another one of those. I, I, it's been years since I've had one. And there's such a good game. And I'll you tell you what, too. There, there's something, like I said, I interrupt you, but like there's some really cool thing going on with Revenge from Mars right now. There's a guy out of the UK named Jim Askey who yeah. has expanded on the actual code in the games. And he'll send you like you you buy like this little kit from him and you plug your computer into the Revenge from Mars and you can update the code to like this new code that he's working on right now. He's oh, like cool. really he's un- yeah, he's actually unlocked um unused voice callouts and stuff that are in the game ROMs that are not used okay, in the I'll, game. I'll have to get that link from you because uh, my friend yeah. has one and, and Josh, you still have yours, right? Or did you sell it? I I sold mine to okay. buy Attack from Mars, but oh, okay. I am actively looking for revenge from mars right now so yeah it's such a cool game um yeah i do know where there's another one for sale right now in chicago but that's a little far so yeah i know i, I know a gentleman that owns uh he, he owns a couple of them actually because he owns a pinball company here yes. in utah so i might have to call him and harass him because he's always like yeah if you ever want one of these you call me because they i don't know he, i don't think he's a fan of them i don't know if it's because they're heavy or what it is but uh, yeah, they, they probably because of the prism card is scaring people. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, well, it, it's such a good game. It really is. Yeah, and my vote is play it till it dies and then figure it out later. Well, uh, I think that pretty much wraps it up for us. Unless, is there anything else you want to tell us, Scott, before we hop off and uh, and wrap it up? No, I think that's pretty much it. I, yeah, well, we, we got to get, you, you, get you the 2.0 loser kid hat. So, uh, oh, yeah. I can't remember. Do you have the original? I don't think I do. I don't think I have any Loser Kid stuff. You don't have that one? Okay. I do not have that. Okay. So we've run into you twice and we never gave you a hat. Shame. I don't have a hat at all. Yeah. No, we need to get that to you. Because you actually wear hats too. So I do wear hats. Actually, I grew my hair out during that like COVID thing. Mm -hmm. uh, And I was going to cut it off and donate it. But like it's now I'm still, I'm just waiting. I still got long hair right now. It's crazy. Nice. But yeah, I, I wear hats like only. I don't know, 25% of the time now. I used to wear them every day. We'll make sure it can fit in your man bun. So Perfect. It can stick we'll, out the back. It's fine. We'll definitely be up there uh, for expo. So 
Nice. Worst case scenario, we'll bring you a hat at Expo. That sounds perfect. Well, if uh, you want to get a hold of us, actually, before you get a hold of us, if you want to get a hold of Scott outside of his payphone, because that's happening in an hour, and by the time we release this, it'll probably be done. So you could go watch the Twitch stream, the the VOD. But well, we'll, see if, get, we'll see if there's a VOD. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if someone wants to get a hold of you, Scott, how do they do it? Um, you can go to my website. That's the best way to do it. Um, just scottdenisi.com. There's a contact form on there. Um, you know, my, my email is not hard to figure out if you know what my website is. Uh, I'm sure you can probably guess it, but uh, that's another way. Um, you know, so the, um, yeah, so that, that's probably the best way. Don't contact me through Facebook because it's, uh, I just don't look at that very often at all. Uh, but, you know, yeah, websites and I, websites, the websites the way to go. Hey, I just and pulled that's up as gotdenisi.com. Scottdenisi.com, yeah. But it's awesome. I'm, I'm here now. I'm looking at this. This is that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Not no, many people it, can say they have their own website. No. Yeah. I just I had to have great. a place for all the random crud that I do. Um, you know, there's a lot of reference material and and like blog posts that I wanted to just make sure that that information didn't die. Okay. So the website's the best way to do it. Yeah. It is. And this is a cool looking website. You don't. Go check it out, everyone. If even if you're not going to contact them, at least go there and check out this website. Yeah, there's a TNA code there too. You can download that. <laughs> nice. Well, if you want to get a hold of us, we are Loser Kid Pinball Podcast at gmail.com. We're on all the socials: Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, all at Loser Kid Pinball. We've we've kind of simplified it to make it more simple for everyone else. Um, other than that, what do you got for us, Larson? You know, I'm just really looking forward to uh, more stuff coming out. And I, I'm really looking forward to getting my rush fixed. So that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to. <laughs> but I'm also looking forward to uh, well, really Expo. Uh, that's my next big thing. So yeah, about four months away. Yeah, cool. same here. Yeah. And, uh, well, and it's not even four months away. We're, we're in the middle of July. It's going to be here. Yeah, we need to get close. August, September, October. Yeah, we're th- we're three and a half months, if that. So, hey Scott, do you still need one of these for your uh, uh, for your? <laughs> see that? Okay, so check this out. I actually uh, I installed. By the way, for, for those who like, don't know what I just showed, I I, uh, I have an old cassette uh, with the adapter line in. So all the people who bought a car from the eighties that still had the cassette, but they had converted to CDs. That's what you'd hook up your CD player to. All right, so I got I got a quick I got a quick statement about those. Okay, right? so um, I had in the Fiero I had a working tape deck, right? And that mm-hmm. was all I had. I had FM radio, working tape deck, AM radio didn't work too well. So what I did was I just I have a collection of cassette tapes, and I would just pop those in and and listen to them. And a ton of people were like, "Hey, let me give you this thing, and then you can plug your phone into it, and then like you can listen to anything you want." And uh, I had to keep reminding people that that's that's actually not the point. Like that yeah. that actually ruins the uh, it, it ruins the experience of being stuck with a tape and having to listen to every song on that album. Right. Um, when you have too many options, you aren't as satisfied with the outcome that you pick. Well, so what happens though is it basically has iTunes uh, killed albums. Yeah. Like very few people actually put together a great album start to finish now because they only focus on one or two singles and mm-hmm. then a lot of other filler stuff because it's so easy to hit next song, next song, next song. 
But a lot of the songs that I've grown to appreciate on those older albums were were songs that took me a while to really get into. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, there's a there's a whole study that happened with this thing with uh, with with jelly beans, right? They would walk out with uh, two options of jelly beans and ask people like, what do they want? Do you want lemon or do you want coconut? And people would be like, they'd be like, oh, well, I'll take lemon, you know, and they eat it. Right. You know, they get to pick one. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And after they had eaten the jelly bean, they say, well, how satisfied are you with your with your choice? And they're like, well, very because I like lemon and I don't like coconut as much. So there you go. And uh, then they did the same experiment again with like a hundred different flavors of jelly bellies. Right. Yeah. And so then they're like, okay, pick one. And everyone's like looking around. They're like, well, I don't know. I mean, I like apple, but also, you know, the marshmallow one's pretty good or this and that, you know, it's like, and uh, they'll eventually settle and pick one. And then they say, well, how happy are you with your choice? And they're like, well, not, not entirely. I should have picked the lime one. Cause I, you know, I, you know, I, I kind of got overwhelmed and I didn't, I lime would probably would have been better. You know, it's like you get overwhelmed with options mm-hmm. and cassette tapes are an amazing way and vinyl too. It's an amazing way of listening to music uh, and being more satisfied with what you're listening to. You're, you're a more captive audience. Yeah, you are. I, well, it, this is actually, uh, this is what Costco actually zeroed in on is that you, uh, there's a pair uh, paralysis of choice so if you yeah. go into costco you have like two or three options for one thing you don't have like 10 or 20 options you basically yeah. is like you want ketchup here's the costco ketchup and they they found that they sold a lot more that way because if people had like five choices then they're just like i don't know which one to buy and so sometimes they wouldn't even buy one because they just didn't make a decision yeah huh. yeah it's crazy I feel like this should be a title for the the episode. Pick your jelly bean. Pick your jelly belly. Pick your jelly belly. Pick your jelly belly. (laughs) Well, thank you, Denise, for coming on. I really appreciate it, man. We've we've wanted to have you on for a while now. This just worked out perfect. Uh, We we are so excited. Like you are some of the fresh blood in the industry, and we have just loved your games between TNA, Brick and Morty, uh, and I guess the sound on Weird Al. Uh, Hopefully, you can get to a time that. you can make another love letter to maybe an era of pinball machine. And then we'd be, be looking forward to that too. So absolutely. Thank you again for having me on. It was really fun. Yeah, thanks Scott. Shut up and sit down.